welcome to This is Spinal Lap, a podcast on the thrilling world of motorsports, presented by your pedestrian host, Greg Mefford, only on the Ignotainment Media Network. Now, the most fantastically ordinary guy in broadcasting, Greg Mefford. Welcome uh, to the sixth edition of This is Spinal Lap, and uh, this edition uh, will take on a Formula One flavor to it. Even though we have, uh, I've taken some time off, um, I felt a little ill and under the weather last week, so I wasn't able to get a uh, podcast out. But picking it back up and following the rotation that I had promised, we will get into Formula One, which obviously means we bring my beloved brother back into the conversation. But before we do all that, a little business, um, please um, send us some comments, send us some emails. We've gotten some emails um, for um, for Gannon and NASCAR. Uh, my brother's feeling a little lonely, so he needs a little love. So all of his racing buddies, by all means, you can send us uh, anything uh, interesting or anecdotal about, about John Mefford, uh, and we can ask him questions about um, whether or not he actually was a good driver or not. But um, to do that, you need to go to This Is Spinal Lap and uh, write a comment or catch us on our Twitter feed at Spinal Lap uh, or go to our Facebook page, uh, This Is Spinal Lap, and by all means, uh, contribute and go. I've gotten a little bit better of updating it. I've signed on and liked uh, some MotoGP sites, some Formula One sites, some individual teams, um, starting to see some things come through on our Twitter feed as well. And I will start to comment and, and forward some things out from there too and hopefully beacon some, some interesting, inform- oh, interesting information. So anyways, please, by all means, uh, comment, send suggestions, um, anecdotal stories, or, 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 or any, you know, anything both positive and negative would, would be really, really good. With that said, as I said at the, at the opening, we're going to uh, bring in uh, my brother John uh, from uh, Hong Kong on the other side of the world. So it's morning time, his time evening time uh, on a Monday evening here, actually, uh, as as we're recording this, which is maybe a little painstaking for my brother, the, the national championship game is probably going on right now as we speak. Uh, but John, how you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me back. How are, uh, how are things in uh, Hong Kong these days? Very good. We're, uh, we're moving into warmer weather, and uh, even typhoon season started already as well. So. Oh, all right. Well, that's good. Well, before we jump into uh, talking a little bit more about what transpired uh, in Formula One uh, over over uh, the last race, actually, which is at this point a week ago, um, one of the subjects that, that, that we I think is really interesting about Formula One, more so than any other race series, is the technology that's employed. Um, and the development that's employed, and one of those areas uh, in particular is tires. Uh, and and this year in Formula One, there's a there's a vast array of choices that the teams have. And I was wondering, John, if maybe you could kind of talk through w- what's involved with that, and 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 what sort of choices the teams actually have in Formula One to employ, you know, uh, different strategies with tires. Yeah, I mean one of one of the equalizers that Formula One set out to to bring you know to to the series many years ago was was to try to throw more dynamics at, at the tires, particularly as uh, they went from multiple manufacturers in the series to only having one, and clearly supplying every team with the exact same tire, the exact same compound, and all those types of things uh, would would have made the the racing a little boring. Even though, yeah, as you said, the technology that and as we talked about last time, the technology that goes into the development of the cars is absolutely 
world renowned and and uh, at the top flight of of car manufacturing period. But to keep it interesting, and I think they've done an outstanding job of that, is they've um, asked the tire manufacturers, whoever that's been over the last few years, and Pirelli happens to be it this year, uh, to create four different compounds. Uh, that they then select two compounds for for every track that they go to. And there's rules that are set towards the teams have to run one of those compounds um, uh, at some point during each of the races. And the compounds are really set out uh, and very unique and fan-friendly with different colors on the sidewalls of the tires so that you can actually see as soon as a car makes a pit stop or um, any, you know, any, anything during practice, you can tell what tire they're actually running on and different colors designate the different compound of the tire. And, and compound refers um, to, and just sorry to interrupt John. So, so compound refers to what exactly, like, like it, one compound is different from another in what way typically? Yeah, that's right. So, so the compounds, um, is, and what we mean by compound is actually the, the, how the tire is actually manufactured, the type of rubber, and they do painstaking amount of tests and, and obviously very smart chemists and everybody else gets involved to determine the, the level of the compound and how long it will last and the, and the chemical makeup of the tire itself. Um, so when you buy a road tire for your car, um, there are different compounds you can buy even in, in a road car where you can have one that's hard and will last for a really long time. You can have one that's soft that will will be more performance oriented but but last um you know less long right for example um all weather tires rain tires and of course slick tires and of course formula one runs on slick tires uh, moving away from group tires many years ago um but basically there's four primary compounds and there's called the super soft which is the color red there's soft which is the color yellow there's medium which is the color white and hard which is the color orange and again, those colors are actually designated where it actually says Pirelli on the side of the tire, and it's written in bright red, yellow, white, or orange. Um, there are two other additional compounds that they have, or two different tire types, which are only for rain. One is called an intermediate, and one's called a wet, but we can talk about that in a little bit. Um, the different tires, again, uh, from super soft to hard, is the composite of the tire itself and how long it will last in, in a particular um, session. So if you think about a, a, a kind of a, um, a matrices of how this all works, a super soft has the most grip, but it's the least durable. So it won't go as many laps, um, but it'll be very, very strong for the first two, three, four, five laps, which is typically the tire that they like to qualify on. Um, soft is you know, uh, a level three in grip, but a level two in durability if you think about a scale one to four. And then hard, of course, on the farthest side of that has the least grip, but it's the most durable and can run the longest on any given track. The other interesting thing that they do is that they also, per track, they pick two of the compounds based on the track surface itself. Um, some track surfaces are very slick. Some track surfaces are more rough, uh, depending if they're running in Monaco, running at Spa, running in, at the... Uh, um, circuit of the Americas. It just depends on the type and the weather, uh, the weather that plays a factor in and how long that tire will last. And, and then Formula One decides, okay, for this track, we're only going to use the soft and the medium. And those are your two tire compounds you have to choose from. And, and that's at the discretion of the governing body, right? That, that's not, 
something that the, the teams are able to put um, or make the final decision on. They may have input, but don't make the final decision. No, that's exactly right. They 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 don't have any input to it. Um, they will do obviously preseason testing uh, that determines different tracks with different compounds, and sometimes they even get that wrong because the track has been resurfaced or any of that is. We saw in the in the late you know Indianapolis 500 race many years ago it was a complete disaster because the tires wouldn't last more than six or seven laps. Um, but there there you know and there's still instances where that occurs where they might get that wrong. But the tire manufacturers go out and test at every track and that's what determines what they believe to be a long long run tire and a short run tire essentially based on the the durability. And of course they have to measure to make sure that. Whatever two sets of tires they they pick, whether the whether the teams employ a one one stop strategy, a two stop strategy, or a three stop strategy, or even sometimes four stop strategy in a particular race, you have to make sure that the number of tires that are allocated to the teams can actually make it through the race. Uh, because the last thing you want is everybody blowing up the tires before the race finishes as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, and that creates also. Uh, because we're talking about multi-million dollar cars, um, the last thing you want are for tires to blow out on uh, all the way up and down the grid and have people wreck uh, these these beautiful pieces of machinery that cost quite a bit of money to, to make. Um, there's some liability there too, I suppose. Um, so I'm going to come back on something that you said earlier and, and I think kind of um, articulated um, well, but but I want to go back. So, so, so when, when the four tires are, are chosen – the teams then have the option of employing them however they want, correct? But they have to use all of them or two of them in the course of a race. They have to use. They have to use um, because they're only given two tires for the weekend. Two types of tires, I should say. Um, the number of tire allocation they get is also limited as well. But they get, you know, the two that the the FIA or the, or the governing body just chooses to give them. So let's say, for example. In this last race, they had the mediums and the softs, uh-huh. so they're given equal amounts of those two sets of tires for for the weekend, and they have to both practice, qualify, and race on the set of tires that they're given. Uh, but during the race itself, they have to make sure that they at least run one to two laps on a medium set and one to two laps on a soft set. Outside of that, they can run any other tire as much as they want in the, in, the, in that combination. So, for example. Um, if a car, if a team runs extremely well on a soft and they're going, you know, they're doing short stints because they think that that's a, a better strategy for the for the race, they may only run the medium tire once during the race, but run two sets of soft tires um, as well. And again, it's it's all calculation of how well the car performs on the given track in the weather conditions. Um, and uh of course you know the the overall strategy of the race that plays out with safety cars or no safety cars and everything else that sort of goes into it and how long they can stretch those tires because it obviously will determine how often they have to stop and and uh, that's the fascinating part about it is really watching each of the teams man, um, manage those strategies during the race and every every one of the chassis has a different Reaction or uses the tires differently because they're all set up differently as well from from the way the teams um, apply their aerodynamic settings, their mechanical settings, and all that stuff. So 
it, it becomes even more fascinating to see that the Ferrari may run better on the mediums than the McLaren or the Williams cars uh, versus the Red Bulls may run better on the soft tires and everything else. So it's interesting to watch all the teams because they don't follow each other's strategies and depending on how their car uses those tires differently really drives out you know what what each team is going to do during the race. No question. And, and clearly uh, that played out um, in the race. Um, but before we get that, I wanted to take kind of a different perspective on the tire thing, too. You having had experience with this. So let's kind of talk through what happens uh, with a soft tire type compound. You as a driver, when you're out there uh, and have two, three, four good laps on it, what happens in lap five, six, and seven? Like, what does that start to feel like? And what do you have to do to alter your driving style as a tire naturally goes away? Well, it's it's interesting because there's there's tires are a, a very uh, again sensitive component of of the of the car in itself because um, besides the fact of the compound being different in every single set of tire and a lot of the series that I ran in um, had a single make tire manufacturer we didn't have these fancy different compounds we could pick from we got assigned a set of tires and that was it so everybody had equal equal tires for the most part. Um, and the other difference in Formula One is they also have what's called tire, tire warmers as well, which you'll see blankets around these big blankets around the tires right before the car pulls out of pit lane or off the starting grid. They'll pull those warming blankets off, which essentially heats the tire to an optimal temperature as if the car was running on the track, and so it means the drivers have instant grip. But for those of us that don't run in those high, <laughs> high, uh, expensive series that don't have the luxury of having tire warmers or actually most of the time they're illegal in the series that we run in, the tire actually has to heat up and expand and, and, um, and that changes the compound and how the tire reacts to the, to the, the asphalt. And then of course, as you say, it starts to change lap after lap. So the tire is compound. It's also, uh, air pressure. It's um, it's how the tire makes contact with the road and, of course, the surface that are all dynamics of, of the tire itself. And generally, even in Formula One, I believe, of course, never driving a Formula One car myself, but, uh, you know, based on what I've heard is that essentially it's the same. You You get your best lap out of the tire probably in lap two or three, which was always true in the series that I ran in as well is that, when you went out to qualify on a brand new set of tires, um, you would slowly warm them up, and about lap two or three was your optimal lap, meaning that the tire compound, the heat temperature, the air inflation that you set, and everything actually is perfect for you to run your best lap. And from that lap on, you're only going to degrade the tire, and the tire is not going to be is not going to be as grippy. And what that feels like is essentially the tire just doesn't grip as well. Think about when you're driving your road car and it's perfectly dry and then it just starts to rain a little bit um, and you can start to feel the tire slip just a little bit and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. That's exactly what it feels like. You just continually lose grip. The car starts to slide, doesn't turn as well, um, and uh, eventually it becomes so bad it's almost like uh, driving on ice. Got it. And so so naturally that slows you down lap after lap after lap, um, and you start to lose time. 
That's exactly right, because the tires become overinflated or, or, you know, they grow to a certain point. They start to wear in different areas of the tire, depending on the way you set up the different contact patches with the, with the road. And again, it starts to wear out and it can even blister, which is when the tire actually creates these small little blisters because the tire is overheated in a particular area. And once that starts to happen, you get unevenness in, in the tire. And you also start to wear, which you see pieces of rubber come off the tire on a regular basis in a Formula One race or NASCAR or anything else outside of the groove, what they call the marbles, which is just extra tire pieces that have come off all the cars that have been driving on the track. And eventually that tire will wear down to, if it has cords or whether it'll wear down to the final share, uh, shell of the tire and essentially will explode or, or deflate itself once it completely wears itself out. Right, which is what you don't want to have happen when you're driving an automobile at 180 miles an hour. It'd be a very bad, bad thing, yeah. yeah. And bad things have happened, as we've all seen in, in NASCAR and IndyCar and Formula One and everything else, when a tire suddenly blows out on a driver, uh, it can spell disaster. Yeah, well, and clearly... Um, Worse in open wheel cars than it is in a NASCAR car. Guys just can can glide up and 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 I use this lightly. They're hitting the wall extremely hard, but but at least they're they're protected. The 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 open wheel guys uh, that 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 they're very exposed, and that creates a real problem, um, particularly on an oval in an Indy car uh, when that happens. So, um, that's so, right. I mean, the tire, the tire cartridges come apart and then they pieces fly all over the place and not only can make contact with the driver's helmet himself, which, you know, as we all know, tires are incredibly heavy pieces of, of equipment, um, even just in rubber form. And the other side is, is that it also causes significant damage to the car, uh, in open wheel because of the exposed components and the, and the carbon fiber manuals, you know, it, it just tears it up immediately and then causes the car to lose mechanical grip or aero grip. And then again, as you said, probably into the wall. So yeah, definitely. And while we're at it, since we're talking about tires, I don't know if, it'll, if the opportunity will present itself to it, but one other thing that, that happens with them that you often hear when you watch races, particularly open wheel races, uh, is flat spotting a tire. So what is that when you flat spot a tire? Well, as you've seen probably in all racing series, uh, with the exception of probably motorcycle racing, it doesn't happen that often, but in, in, in road car racing, um, you'll see guys lock up their brakes uh, because either they've gone too far into a corner um, or uh, you know they, they've made a mistake or... For some reason, the brakes aren't aren't working um, as well as they'd like them to be. And what happens in that case, um, you know, less so in NASCAR because they, unless they're running on road courses, it doesn't happen. But in any car, in Formula One and and uh, sports car racing, you'll see a car go into a corner and and uh, and they'll lock up the brake and they'll they'll lock the tire so that it actually just skids on one area of that particular tire. And um, when you, when this happens, it essentially creates a flat spot. The tire is not perfectly round anymore. It actually will scrape off a set a portion of that tire. It's it's literally like taking a, a, a you know, vegetable and 
taking a knife to it, a round vegetable or anything else, or apple or what have you, and cutting a slice into it, and then you have a flat spot in what used to be a round apple or round vegetable. Um, the same thing happens when you when when you you uh, apply too much brake pressure and, and slide the tire on the pavement. What inevitably then happens is is that because the the surface of the tire is no longer round, every time that that driver goes into a corner and applies heavy braking, the tire will find that flat spot to the surface and then will lock itself automatically as well, even with less brake pressure, um, which again repeatedly causes problems in braking. But more importantly, particularly in the sensitivity of the cars, like Formula One cars or IndyCar or anything else, is that when the car is driving down the straightaway full speed, you get a enormous vibration uh, in the car because the the car the tire is not round, so it's, it's literally like it's running over a metal grate every time that it uh, goes around. And at 160 to 180 to 200 miles an hour. Uh, that can actually um, vibrate so badly it can break components of the car that it makes it almost nearly impossible for the driver to keep his hands on the steering wheel because the vibration gets to be so wicked. Yeah, um, so it's it's uh, it's a really negative situation to have that happen, which is why they make such a big deal out of it when you hear when you hear the announcers say, "Oh my God, he's got a flat spot." It's just a horrendous uh, way, and pretty much you've ruined your tires. So it probably means you're going to have to make a pit stop. Yeah, you're going to have to make an extra stop to it, and I assume that also leads to from from inside the cockpit, um, severe blistering of your hand is my guess of trying to hold on to that wheel with that vibration starting to happen. And the, the, I got to believe the wheel slips a little bit as you're holding because you, you you know you, you can't you can't you can't grip it that tight or you don't want to I suppose because it's killing your arms. Yeah, it is. It is exhausting. Um, it's 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 kind of like uh, holding a jackhammer basically, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's your hands to just. You lose the, the sensitivity in your hands because they literally uh, become so tired trying to hold on to the steering wheel, and then it vibrates so violently um, that, it, that it actually feels like you've got tingling in your hands. Um, oh, yeah. So it, it, it requires almost an immediate pit stop. Yeah. Well, and that, that, that leads us to kind of interesting uh, transition, so we can talk a little bit about the race itself, even though flat spotting, I don't, you know, uh, I didn't see that to be an issue necessarily. But tire technology played a big role in the last Formula One race, uh, and in particular, one team that employed it masterfully uh, and another that did not. And the, the team that in, employed it masterfully uh, was, was, was Ferrari and, uh, and, and McLaren, who, who clearly, at least so far, uh, and by all indications, has the better car, certainly the better engine right now in Formula One, uh, did not employ it. And so everything we just kind of talked about, or John did a nice job of explaining to you, played out uh, to where a you know the the rubber made the difference really you know in the race and so uh that being said i mean what uh, were, were you surprised john by 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 what mclaren decided to do and 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 what they you know how how they deployed their tire technology throughout the race or strategy i should yeah, say I their mean, tire was, strategy really not was, the technology but yeah it was a great it was a great race for for what we thought after Australia being such an incredibly boring race as we talked about before to um, playing out and throwing a whole new dynamic into the season that nobody probably would have predicted or expected this early in the season happening, which again is somebody toppling the the great Mercedes um, that everybody thought would be a shoe in to run away again this year. 
Um, I happen to not see the race live uh, because I was at another uh, major sporting event here in Hong Kong, but when I flipped over my phone and saw the standings that Pedal was out leading the race, I was absolutely shocked. And when I got a chance to go back and watch the race, um, and again, as you said, it played out beautifully for them because of tire management, and and uh, clearly they've made improvements in their car as well. Um, and I think that was really the difference between uh, Ferrari and Mercedes is that the tires that were selected for the race, the, the compounds that were used, allowed Ferrari's car to manage those tires more effectively. A lot of that is the car, but a lot of it also is the drivers as well and how they manage their tires. There were many comments throughout the entire race where um, clearly uh, Mercedes drivers were uh, behind and trying to to catch up, which meant that they were probably working their tires more, and that allowed uh, Ferrari to, to keep that distance from them. And essentially what ended up happening was that Ferrari was able to do the entire race just on two stops, whereas Mercedes uh, had to make three, which is a killer in Formula 1, to even make a 20-second pit stop uh, to uh, to be able to come back and win the race. And Ferrari's strategy was so good that it even showed not only through Sebastian Vettel uh, finishing first, but Kimi Raikkonen as well, which was devastating because I think it could have been a Ferrari 1-2. Um, had contact in the initial part of the race, which caused the tire to go down on him. Uh, and had to make a very early pit stop and was well behind the field. He got lucky because a safety car came out and it allowed him to pull up to the back of the field again. But he went from dead last all the way to finish fourth in a race, which again is, is in a Herculean feat in Formula One, uh, to come from behind the, the entire field and, and still finish that high, um, and close to even nearly getting on to a podium. So it just showed the fact that that two-stop strategy for Ferrari played out significantly in their favor and really brought it back. But it wasn't just about the tires either. It also was about the fact that the laps that Vettel was turning were, you know, he was turning fastest lap time and time again on top of the Mercedes as well. And it really shows that Ferrari has come back strong and, and figured something out. Now, it could have been just the track and their car reacting well to the aerodynamics of that particular track. It could have been a lot of other things, but it certainly has shown they're going to make this series, this season a lot more interesting if they can, can run with Mercedes the way they did in that race. So here, here's kind of an interesting – a couple of thoughts came to mind while you you're talking about that. Two things. The uniqueness of the track, no question, very different than, than Australia because there's there's much longer straightaways and raw speed comes into play here a little bit. Even though we know Mercedes got a good engine, um, Ferraris traditionally have always been very, very good in, in straight line speed. Um, and uh, which would make sense given that, you know, um, as we know, the Italian Grand Prix for a long time before they started putting more chicanes into that track was pretty much almost like an oval, um, and which, which, is, which is what those cars were designed to win at. So my question is, is does this play – so how does, how does the, the Grand Prix in Shanghai play out then? Because it, the track there, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is not dissimilar with, to, to, uh, to Malaysia. Um, maybe not as many long straightaways, but there's quite a bit of length and, and, and you know, uh, mashing it onto the floor as there is there. So are we going to see it play out again the same way? Yeah, I think we could. Um, they're very similar tracks. It's a, that's a, that's a great observation. Uh, I've been fortunate to be able to drive on both, um, in, in Malaysia a, a year ago and, and some Formula cars and some other types of race cars and Shanghai just in a road car. But it's, it's, uh, 
they're very, very similar uh, in terms of having a dynamic. Shanghai probably has a few more slow corners than than Malaysia, and I think that's really played into Ferrari too. That clearly Ferrari has um, a good downforce package because Malaysia has high speed. Uh, very, very quick, uh, back and forth type corners. Um, and, and as you said, some very long straights. I think it's the fourth longest or third longest straight in, uh, in Formula One. And I think Shanghai has, has one of the longest as well on the backstretch there. Um, so clearly the engine, as you said before, Mercedes is going to play out on those, those long straights because their engine, um, you know, looks to have more power than everybody else. But uh, clearly, the aero package that Ferrari's carrying in the high-speed stuff um, seems like it's it's going to play uh, very well to there. So, slight differences in it that Shanghai has has some slower corners. It's not as fast and sweeping as as Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Um, Malaysia also has a lot of up and down. It's it's probably not greatly visual on screen on TV, but there is a lot of elevation change hmm. all over the track yeah, I wouldn't know. Uh, versus Shanghai being, being very flat. Um, so it, it, it could be another very, very interesting race um, as this. And of course, tire, tire selection uh, or tire usage, I should say, uh, becomes an important factor at Shanghai that has every single year as well. So um, it could be another very, very exciting race to have at least two or three teams really battling out. And let's not forget that Williams was right there in fifth and sixth this past race as well. Um, it's unfortunate that uh, Sauber, Sauber who, who performed so well in Australia, had some, some early difficulties getting uh, knocked out of the race and, and then some other challenges that they had. Uh, but clearly... You know, Ferrari, Mercedes, Williams um, have, have probably got all strong engine packages and aero packages to run well. Shanghai could be an exciting race. Yeah, um, and so so here, here here was another thought that I had because there's a couple other points I'm going to come back to too that you, you just kind of brought up that I think are interesting. So so does what happened in Malaysia happen if you still have fuel stops? And for those that don't understand um, my question, really, for those that maybe you know are new to Formula One, you know uh, what used to happen in Formula One right now. Currently, the races are all run under one full tank of gas, uh, and it used to be uh, like like all the other race series around the world that there was at least a refueling stop uh, per race, kind of thing. And so my question is: is that could that strategy have worked out if they would have had to refuel? Uh, it could have changed the dynamic of, of the race, no question about it, because there was always the the possibility of something going wrong in your fuel stop. And, and it's actually one of the reasons that they stopped having fuel stops and they went back to having a tank large enough to run an entire race uh, was because of incidents in the pit lane, uh, not being able to engage the fuel nozzle properly and uh, and having pit fires and, and other other problems that they had. Yeah. So there was always that dynamic of not them not getting the nozzle attached correctly and causing some issue in the pit stop. But in terms of the actual pit stop strategy, um, yeah, it certainly could have played differently um, because then every team starts to try to maximize uh, their fuel and, and run as light as they possibly can to make the car faster and all those things. But in reality, even the, even the fact that the cars are having to make two and three stops, you're really only talking about a matter of seconds difference in a in a pit stop yeah. versus um, you know having to not stop at all. You know, in 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 
So I wouldn't see that the pit stops would change that. The number of pit stops would change that much, but the dynamic of the race in terms of fuel management um, and how how fast the cars run at different segments of the of the race would have would have greatly differed. Yeah, uh, and my thinking in asking that question was that somebody because of the mental game that could be um, or the mental games that are sometimes employed with the idea of as they say, short fueling the car, meaning that you put a lot less gas in knowing that you're going to bring the car back in in 10 more laps. But in that course of the time, somebody like Mercedes might be able to gain a second or two a lap just by having a lighter car out there and then come back in and and do a tire change again. And Ferrari might have to react to that, which would throw them off kind of thing, you know. And so I didn't know if – I was just thinking, I mean, as you were saying, I was just – that dynamic might have been different had it not been. I'm glad it played out the way it did because it does, I think, lead to much more pure driving and to the point you made, which is the reason I think they did it is the safety aspect of it too. You know, it it definitely works. Yeah, I know. I mean, you bring up a good point. I mean, Mercedes could have could have fueled light and put the super softs on and try to run qualifying laps to try to make up time. There's zero question making one of their stints shorter but faster. Yeah. Um, knowing that they had to make a three stop race of it, um, and and it, you're exactly right. It could have absolutely changed changed the dynamic of it. Um, you know, fairly significantly. But um, the reality is, it's just you know the fact that two stops and trying to make up twenty seconds on any given pit stop, yeah. particularly Malaysia's not a huge pit lane, so it's about a twenty twenty five second stop total after the car stops for two and a half seconds, makes its change, and then moves on. Uh, I, I, it would have been difficult because Ferrari just really dominated that race. That's interesting. So here's then the next question. So so does McLaren employ a two stop strategy in Shanghai this time around? It could be, and again, it, it comes right full circle back to where we started the conversation. Is it really is going to depend on the weather? It's going to depend on the compounds that get selected and how that car drives on those compounds. Yeah. Because sometimes it's it's not really their choice. Sometimes it's the fact that they just can't get the tires to last long enough. Yeah. On their particular car and their setup, because again, depending on how you set up the aerodynamics of the car. Depending on how you send, set up the, the mechanical grip, yeah. uh, and, and, and the car, the way it brakes, how much, uh, front bias and, and rear brake bias you have, is going to determine the wear of the car. And of course, the driver is always the dynamic as well. And Hamilton, uh, is certainly more aggressive in the car than a Nico or a Jensen Button or somebody like that who is a little bit more neat and can take care of their tires. So it's, it is, you know, uh, it's part, uh, mechanical and scientific, and it's part uh, pure strategy as well, and, th- and that's what makes it so great. Um, I certainly would see, and I cannot remember, unfortunately, and you know, not having it in front of me, uh, you know, what the typical Shanghai race has has proven in the last couple of years, whether it's a two or three stop strategy. Uh, but it certainly could come to play. And Mercedes, I'm sure, has gone back and. I looked at their notes and had a lot of debriefing after that race because I'm sure they weren't happy with their strategy at all. Yeah. Well, in some of the commentary that I that I heard uh, over the course of this last week was exactly that that they were caught they they were caught off guard that um they knew in in practice and for the for qualifying for the most part they knew that Ferrari had improved a lot. They didn't realize how much and they also didn't realize how good a tire wear that Ferrari was getting. But I guess there's a few other teams that kind of employed the same thing too that created more, for lack of a better term, a little bit of a back marker, meaning that they, they, they were cars that decided to go with a two-stop strategy that when McLaren first pitted, 
ended up having to then pass them, and it got harder to get around those cars than they expected to and creating more of a gap with Ferrari. But there were several other cars that apparently employed that, and, and the, um, the, 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 the Mercedes guys were, were – sorry, not McLaren. Mercedes guys were caught off guard by that uh, in a big way. Yeah, that's right. I mean, one thing that we have seen over the last couple of races too is, is, uh, which wasn't as familiar in, in past seasons. Of course, some of the bottom rung, bottom rung teams, um, you know, last year and the year before would certainly get lapped during, during the race. Um, but what we see in these first two races is, you know, cars all the way up to, I believe it was almost sixth position in Australia. And in this race, it was up to eighth position that went down an entire lap. Yeah. Uh, means that the, the front runners are running into traffic a lot more often, um, you know, depending on the strategies that are being employed by all the teams. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that definitely, it, it caused some issue and it allowed, it allowed them to get a little bit closer than I think Ferrari would have liked when Mercedes got caught up in, I mean, when Ferrari got caught up in a little traffic at the end of the race, but, uh, you know, that's part of racing and, and certainly, um, uh, you know, something they have to measure as well. Well, it's got to come into your pregame when, you know, when you debrief before the race too and think about those sort of things. And you bring up one last thing. We'll kind of wrap it up here. That, that I thought was interesting in commentary that I didn't necessarily observe, but, but in, in, and I'm going to full disclosure, I did not watch the race live either. Um, is that, um, the Red Bull B, B team, uh, Toro Rosso actually did better than the Red Bull A team. Uh, and most notably, uh, the young Verstappen, uh, kid who's 17 years old set a Formula One record for a points paying position, uh, the youngest person to to in 50 years i think is the 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 statistic i heard in 50 years the youngest person to score a formula one world championship point yeah no that's that's right uh it's a little embarrassing for red bull uh and like you said what's considered to be their sort of uh you know little brother little sister type type uh rivalry in terms of um you know employing very similar types of uh Technologies and all that, even though they're completely separate teams, they're seen as as kind of a stepping child to the Red Bull team, and yeah. for Red Bull to fall behind on this is is not great. And Verstappen, yes, the, with all the questions that were that were made of of whether Formula One was doing the right thing, allowing a 17 year old, I think he, you know, he's proven so far, at least uh, today. Now, you know, a lot of drivers have come in, Magnussen in years past, and others who've come in and really been strong in the first few races, and then. Sort of crumbled under the pressure a little bit more and, and show their their age and, and lack of maturity in in terms of racecraft later in the season. But so far, so good. I, I think the interesting thing about that statistic that you provided was that that'll last for for history now. That oh, yeah. the FIA has set that eighteen year olds uh, is the is the youngest that you you can be to, to achieve a FIA super license. Oh, I didn't know that. So. Hmm. So Max now will hold that record for his lifetime and many lifetimes to come unless they change that rule. There you go. See, Nobody will be able to beat him. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer then is what it boils down to. There you so, go. Yeah. So he's, he gets to turn in his driving suit and his helmet to put it in the Hall of Fame. So, um, well, cool. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Um, um, I appreciate uh, the, the the time and, and uh, appreciate you uh, uh, actually doing some research and making me look good this week, given that I didn't do as much prep as I needed to. So, But I think, uh, all told, I, I do think that the tire thing is an interesting discussion. And something that I had 
noted last week when we were talking that we, we should talk about because Formula One is so technology driven, and that's one aspect of it. And and we'll leave the rain aside because at some point, as as we both know, we're going to get a good rain race, and we can talk about how that works. And particularly, hopefully, it's a dry, wet race because we can really talk about that. Um, because that's another fascinating part of Formula One that that uh, I really enjoy when when that happens because um, it it upsets the apple cart in all sorts of different ways. Um, and so, um, but I think I think by saving the tire conversation for this episode was perfect because it played out, um, you know, in a perfectly scripted way for us to be able to to kind of talk about what's involved with that, and then actually say, look, and this is what happened, you know, a week ago on Sunday. So. Uh, it was good, and I'm glad we could uh, we could have this conversation. So, with that, uh, I will uh, bid you farewell, John, and uh, we'll have you back um, uh, in a couple of weeks, maybe even next week. I might do two shows next week because uh, we'll have the the NASCAR guys uh, are God fearing Americans, so they took off Easter, uh, so they didn't race this weekend either. Uh, but they'll be back at it, uh, and uh, and maybe we can talk a little uh, IndyCar. I don't know if you'll get a chance to see anything or not. Um, but, uh, I need to, I need to jump on the IndyCar thing. So with that said though, John, thanks for joining. I appreciate it. And, uh, we will, uh, see everybody in, uh, next week at some point. So thank you. And, uh, we're out of here from Edwardsville, Illinois, from the Ignotainment Studios. This is, this is Spinal Lap signing off. This is Spinal Lap with Greg Mefford. Only on the Ignotainment Media Network. Visit our website at www.spinallap.com. Follow us on Twitter at Spinal Lap or on Facebook at This Is Spinal Lap. <laughs>